Hello, this is Zach Troutman, producer of Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World Radio on Rural Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 147, as well as the Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World Podcast. And I'm pleased to have with me here the host of that program, the man, the legend, the voice, Bass Pro Shops Director of Conservation, Rob Keck. Rob, my friend, as soon as I connected with you today, before you even said a word, the first thing I heard was that turkey call. Do you mind giving us a a little sample of that maybe to start things off today? I I don't mind at all, but here you go. (laughs) Beautiful. Love it. Well, we started Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World Radio. Of course, now it's a podcast as well. July 20th, 2013, which started as the Fishing, Hunting, and Conservation Hour. It's come a <laughs> long way since then. So how do you feel about where the show has come in that time? And what have been maybe some of the highlights for you? Well, you know, this show has taken me all over the country, and it has connected me with so many great people that love the outdoors, whether they hunt or fish. Maybe they're devoted to conservation work. Some of our veterans that have given us the freedom that we enjoy and allows us to hunt and fish. And, uh, you know, even places like the Legends of Golf at Big Cedar Lodge to meet, you know, some of the, the icons of, of the golfing world. And, you know, it's it's been just magical for me. You know, I never intended to be in radio. In fact, I got a call. Hey, this was back uh, before that uh, July 20th, 2014 airing. It was in June. I got a call from Johnny Morris, of course, our, my boss, the founder, the uh, uh, owner of Bass Pro Shops, the CEO. And Johnny said, uh, look, Rural Radio is going to launch this uh, this show, and Bass Pro Shops has a chance to, to do a one-hour show on Saturdays, and I want you to be the host. I said, Johnny, I never – I don't know anything about hosting a radio show, so we did television. I said, yeah, but I never did radio. And so there it went from there. I really didn't have much direction. And, you know, we start off, as you said, uh, you know, with a, a name a little different than where we're at today, but it had the same direction. And we started with the Boone and Crockett Club. We were out at Reno at their 28th Big Game Awards programs. And, you know, it has just captured, I think, what is the heart of America. It's something that, you know, so many people don't realize what hunters and anglers have done for the quality of life of people. And we've been able to share that on this show. Definitely. And you mentioned some of that television background that you had. It's clear why you were chosen to host the program. You do have a great television background. You led the National Wild Turkey Federation for three decades. So it's obvious that you've got a great outdoor pedigree. But what a lot of our listeners probably don't know is that your formal education is actually in art. Yeah. You know, most people, when they would look at me and they'd say, gosh, where did you get your degree in biology or wildlife management? I just sort of laugh and I say, well, I don't have one of those. In fact, there's a guy that uh, did an interview for a book on successful CEOs in this country. When he came to visit and to pick my brain to how, you know, what helped me lead this organization to such great levels of achievement and success, when I told him it was really just having a degree in common sense, using the things, the tools, the the things that my mom and dad gave me to live by. You know, that has taken me so far in this world. And, you know, I found a lot of successful people. It's not the degrees they've gotten from Harvard Business School or uh, the Wharton School of Business, but really the school of hard knocks and having a degree in good common sense. So, yeah, I grew up loving art. I still 
I don't do nearly enough, but uh, I've used that art in illustrating columns you know, for 30 years in Turkey Call Magazine. You know, I've used it as fundraisers to help pay off uh, when, when I was at the Federation, uh, a building program and raised, you know, most a quarter of a million dollars with it. And, uh, you know, I talked to one CEO one time that uh, he was chairman of the uh, CEO of the, of the Southern Company. He said, Rob, people don't go to school to be a CEO. And he said, what you have to do is to learn how to surround yourself with good people. And that was probably some of the best advice I ever got. And, uh, you know, utilize my art whenever I can. It's certainly a passion of mine, but the good Lord's given me so many talents. Sometimes it's hard to, to prioritize them, but believe me, art is still one of my passions, one of my loves. But one of those other talents that I think uh, you may have mentioned is actually that you have some pretty impressive achievements as a track and field athlete as well. And I would imagine... <laughs> Where okay, did you find that? <laughs> I, would I would imagine that has some, uh, some fringe benefits uh, during a hunt as well, perhaps. Well, you know, I've always participated in, in team sports. You know, I grew up playing uh, Little League baseball, Little League football. And then, of course, in high school, uh, you know, I was... Uh, fortunate to be on a championship team there that taught me an awful lot but you know I also was participating in track when I got to college uh, my freshman year I had my third concussion and the doctor said well the next one well you could go blind or it could be and I said whoa then I focused full-time on track and just trained year-round and I threw the javelin through the discus broad jump triple jumped and uh, became tri-captain of uh, Millersville at that time State College track team, one of the 13 state now universities there in Pennsylvania. You know, getting in shape, people that have walked with me in the turkey woods, they say, how do you take such long strides? How do you, I can't even keep up with you. And <laughs> I think that that track uh, experience, certainly football, uh, all contributed to that because it's hard for me to walk slow. Definitely. And we know, of course, from Tim Wells of Relentless Pursuit that uh, that javelin can come in handy as well. Oh, man, I tell you what, Tim Wells, what a guy. Great friend. And, you know, he's a spear chucker for sure. I mean, great archer, great bow hunter. But, uh, you know, he's taking it to another level of, uh, you know, spearing all kinds of game from Africa to, to here in North America to Argentina. I just am amazed at, at, at his skill. And, uh, you know, as close as I've come to that was hunting wild hogs with a big bowie knife. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds pretty exciting. Now, you've been featured on a new book called Turkey Men, helping reveal some of the secrets of the U.S. wild turkey super slam. So tell us, first of all, how did that opportunity present itself to be involved with that book? And what might people find in uh, a copy of it if they pick one up? Well, what it does, it really chronicles the trail that these six hunters uh, went through to take a turkey in 49 of the 50 states. Alaska is the only state that doesn't have a have wild turkeys and have a turkey season. And it talks about, you know, what they went through, the challenges they had, the the calls they used, the, you know, the, the many different elements of, of hunting in so many different places. And, uh, You know, I started way back. I took my first turkey in 1963, in fact, on the weekend that John F. Kennedy was assassinated. Mm. And uh, in 1997, I finished that quest of of taking a turkey in in every state. But, you know, at that time when I began, uh, there weren't even mentions of a Grand Slam, a World Slam, a Royal Slam, or a Super Slam. 
And uh, when I lived in Pennsylvania, I, of course, was competing in turkey calling contests. I'd won the Pennsylvania State. I won the U.S. Open. Then I won the World Championship. And, uh, of course, that was an entree to hunt a variety of states. People, of course, wanted a, a champion caller to come visit and share with them. And so I had a number of states that I'd already put under my belt before I even got to NWTF. And then when I got there... I got to meet so many volunteers, and of course, invitations were out. And, and again, I wasn't on a time schedule to try to even achieve this. It was something I said, you know, before I came to NWTF, it'd be pretty cool to be the first person to take a turkey in every state. And uh, lo and behold, uh, I did that. And, uh, you know, it was just some great experiences in there talking about, you know, the influence my dad, my grandfather had, some of the places, the people that I met. And, uh, you know, as I've shared that with so many people, uh, the great story of wild turkey conservation, the restoration and management, you know, I was in a very unique position to lead the organization. And, you know, when I started at NWTF, there were only 30 states that even had a spring turkey season. And, of course, as we moved turkeys, as we trap and transferred them and new seasons opened, new opportunities came. And when they came, I took advantage of them. Now, even the most avid hunter might not be familiar with something that uh, you've kind of recently stumbled upon, the Winter Slam. Tell us what that is for people who haven't heard of it. <laughs> yeah, well, I think everybody that enters any kind of a pursuit, you know, they, they like to strive for, for goals. And, uh, you know, that happened, of course, with the Grand Slam when you take four subspecies here in the in this country go to mexico get the goals that's the fifth which is then the royal slam and then if you add the uh, oscillated turkey down the yucatan or guatemala you've got the world slam well this idea this concept of uh, going then for the super slam and thinking okay what else is there to achieve well i have found over the years there's a great opportunity to hunt late december and the month of january in a variety of states and at a time of year when nobody else is hunting, oftentimes winter weather can be brutal. But it is when these wintertime flocks of gobblers are, you know, they're really bunched up. You know, you could see 50 to a couple hundred longbeards together. And I've taken my daughter, Heather, who's killed a Royal Slam, to Mexico. I've taken her, uh, of course, to, to Kansas, one of my favorite places to go for this winter hunt. And you don't see any hunters. Well, I wrote up this story for... I, Actually, I was talking uh, to Andrew McKean, the editor of Outdoor Life magazine, and Andrew said, what do you like better, spring or fall? I said, neither one. I like winter turkey. And he said, what do you mean? I said, I like to take and challenge these big groups of gobblers. When they fly down in the morning, they fight, they gobble, they strut. And anybody that's ever spring hunted using a Jake decoy or a fan knows that when a gobbler sees that, he's probably going to come and fight. Well, this is that scenario on steroids. You get 15, 20 or more of these gobblers coming in to tear up your setup, which I usually use two real fans that I've got set up that the wind will move them, two Montana decoy fold-out strutters, and then an Avian X uh, submissive Jake. Let me tell you, last year I took Kerry Earnhardt, Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s brother, and we filmed a, a TV show, and the... A uh, videographer who had filmed for Bass Pro Shops for two dozen years, he said, Rob, I've hunted with everybody. I've hunted with you. I've hunted turkeys, all the subspecies. He said, I've never seen anything like this. You hear more turkeys. You see more turkeys. And it's so exciting because you've got so many gobblers coming in at one time. 
And so Andrew said, how about writing that story up? We've never had it in outdoor life. So I did. Well, lo and behold, I start getting emails. Uh, I mean, there's a lawyer from up in New York. Uh, we had one afternoon, we had over 200 longbeards coming in to the call, uh, 3.30 in the afternoon. Problem was, they came so close, and there were so many that you could not make a shot because you had killed multiple birds. And it's an exciting time because now here's another slam. Here's something you can do it with all four of the subspecies. And, yes, you can even do it in Florida in late December and get the same kind of results. So here's just a, another one. I, you know, I've always felt like I've pioneered a lot of different things in, in turkey hunting, and, and whether it's in calls or whether it's in styles of hunting or what have you. And here's just another one that I'm really tickled about to be able to share with people as they wait for the spring season to come on. Well, I think what it proves is just that as turkeys started to think they were safe from Rob Keck, you, <laughs> you proved them wrong. <laughs> Trust me. I, I have a videographer one time, John Brown, tell me, he said, look, you don't want to be a turkey and be hunted by Rob Keck. <laughs> <laughs> that is certainly true. So what's been a favorite hunt that you've had over the past year or one that you're looking forward to? Well, you know, people ask me, how do you kill so many Boone and Crockett whitetails? And I said, well, first of all, you got to go where they are. And Kansas is one of those states. Uh, we've got great deer populations here in South Carolina, but, you know, we just don't have that many in the in the record book. And, and I don't go there just for a record, but I love seeing lots of big deer, I think, as any deer hunter would. And was fortunate enough to, once again, uh, be with my good friend, uh, Lewis Mall, that, uh, that, that shared his, his beautiful lands, and we just shared the company of one another on, on a great, great hunt. But, you know, as I look forward, I, uh, I've got a great hunt again coming up with the, I'm going to be emceeing the Kansas Governor's One-Shot Turkey Hunt, been to almost all of them. And what a great event that is. The governor always shows up. It's grown so big, the governor cannot afford not to be there. We've had both Republican and Democrat governors. They'll be in Virginia, another great place. One of my favorite places, Bob Duncan, the director up there, has... Uh, you know, put out the the welcome mat, not just to me, but to everybody uh, for the Old Dominion one-shot turkey hunt. And, uh, you know, there's hunters that are coming there. Those dollars that they raise will go for conservation work. They go for education, uh, go for scholarships. Uh, they go to the Wildlife Foundation there. And and uh, it's just a, it's a great time to celebrate the success of conservation, to celebrate what hunting has meant to, to conservation. You know, so many times the liberal media that people that don't understand what hunting is all about, they, they fail to realize that uh, we do more than just put animals out there so that they can be hunted. We put them out there for the quality of life of so many people. I mean, you think about today, a hundred years ago, uh, you drive down a country road, you wouldn't see a flock of turkeys in so many places. You wouldn't see a herd of white-tailed deer, Canada geese, black bears, pronghorns, river otters, or even our nation's symbol. Today, you know, that bald eagle flies proudly. He's been delisted, and hunters have paid for all of that. And so it's a great celebration, and uh, I just love to share it with so many people. All right, Rob, here we go. Now, we've worked together for uh, many years, and so I know that oftentimes you'll ask our guests one of the hardest questions I think they could possibly get uh, that they they are just afraid of hearing. So I'm going to ask it to you now. You're on the hot seat. If you had to choose between fishing or hunting, which would it be? 
No question. It'll be hunting. I love to fish, and fishing is what I do between hunting seasons. <laughs> well, I'm going to give you another hard one. Turkeys okay. or whitetail? It'll be turkeys. Yeah. If, if, if whitetails would call, if they'd bugle like an elk, if they'd gobble like a turkey, it would probably be whitetails. But let me tell you, the aspect about turkey hunting that is so great, unlike hunting a big whitetail, Rarely do you go after a bird where you're saying, I'm looking just for a 12-inch beard or inch-and-a-half spurs. Those kind of things are all incidental to the hunt. Mm -hmm. And with turkey hunting, the focus is on a trophy experience. And I think that that is what we need to share with everybody out there. I think that as we look to the future, as we look to bringing young people into the sport, you know, we've got to emphasize what is important, and it's not the biggest set of antlers. It's not the longest beard or spurs, but it is something that can create a memory that will last with you, sometimes last a lifetime. And uh, turkey hunting allows you to do that. It's a great way to introduce kids, women, or first-time hunters, period. Uh, it's a great time of year to be out, and uh, the fact is you can do it in every state but Alaska. And, you know, it's amazing to me. How many Alaskans come to the lower 48 to turkey hunt? So it is just, uh, you know, it's just a, a great opportunity to share, to get people started, to recruit, retain, and reinvigorate the American hunter for what he means, what he does, and really for the future of conservation in this country. Well, you know, that's a great point about the trophy experience, maybe more so than the actual trophy itself. I know people who have gone on hunts where they've come up empty-handed at the end of it and still had one of the best times they've ever had. Absolutely. Look, I have come back from hunts many times, never have punched the tag. Maybe could have killed a legal animal, but for whatever reason, maybe didn't have the shot that I wanted, or maybe it wasn't the animal I was looking for. But in no way did that diminish the experience that I had. That is something that we've got to continue to share with the non-hunting public, that, you know, the kill is not the ultimate. It is the experience that is what we're after. You know, I know there's probably some people listening here saying, yeah, right, sure. But let me tell you, if they really are honest with themselves, what are the things that they remember most? Maybe taking their child, maybe taking their daughter on their first hunt, or maybe catching that first fish, uh, or maybe sharing it with a dad or a granddad in in their later years. You know, those are the things that memories are made of. And, uh, you know, hunting allows us to do that in a way that is so special. And, you know, in today's urban society, we've lost touch with our rural roots. You know, I talked with a couple of young people. One was 17, one was 15, one was 12. Avid hunters. They started this uh, website, younghunters.com. And they said, you know, some of our classmates don't know the difference between a mule deer and an elk. They don't know the difference between a grizzly bear and a black bear. And they said that they want to help people learn and understand what the outdoors is all about. And, uh, you know, what a, what a great gift it is uh, to our country to be able to continue to do what we do because it improves the quality of life for everybody. Absolutely. Well, as we wind down today, I know you're a busy guy, you're short on time. It's clear from this interview, you've been on a lot of hunts, you've covered a lot of terrain. (laughs) Is there one hunt that you've never been on you'd love to do? Well, it's really not one hunt. It is a series of hunts. I had the opportunity to go to Arctic Red River Outfitters up in the McKenzie Mountains of Northwest Territories. And it was the most spiritual, it was the most challenging physically, 
It was the hardest hunt that I was ever on. I never felt closer to God than during that hunt. The severity, it was a 10-day extreme backpack hunt. And with the elements from snow and sleet, rain, dropping temperatures to just the challenges of, of cliffs and rock slides and what have you. You know, it was one that said, I want to go after the next one, the stone sheep, very in very, very similar conditions. And then a rocky mountain sheep and then a desert bighorn, all of them with those unique challenges, all of them that will connect me, reconnect me in a spiritual way that I don't think any other hunt could ever do. Fantastic. And of course, no matter what hunt you're going on, whether it's one of those, whether it's just out back on your own property, no matter what you're doing, where, Rob, do you need to go to get geared up? Well, you've got to go to Bass Pro Shops. You right. know, your adventure always starts right there. And let me tell you, everything is there. All of that gear that you're going to need, whether you hunt or fish, you're going to find it right there at Bass Pro Shops. Fantastic. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much. You know, it has been just a pleasure and honor to work with you from the very beginning on Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World. 